with, and then we're going to go into three. Are you a little too cold? We might need to bump that air up one notch. I went from sweating to chilled now, so. Terry, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, you. Doing all right? Amen. I just want to remind you that this is a daily devotional. There are five left. They're only two bucks. If you don't have two bucks, then I'll pay your way. But you ought to have this. It's a cool devotional. Uh, It's a little deeper than what we have with the daily bread. So if you're familiar with the daily bread or there's an upper room, this one uh, I like um, equally or better than. So it's worth the money. But if uh, if you need change, there's change in the basket. So let's go ahead and... uh, See what we want to, uh, how God's going to help us this morning. Amen. What do you read the Bible for? Do you read the Bible? So we read the Bible. What do we read it for? Strength, for knowledge, wisdom, help. So the Bible actually has stuff in there that helps us. I got to get away from the stuff word this morning. It has. It has principles. It has precepts. There are commands. See? There are statutes. So what happens is it's literally a living word, the Bible is. Amen? So let's pray for that living word to come be alive to us this morning. Amen? So, Father, thank you for uh, opening up our understanding, giving us wisdom, insight, and understanding into the depths. Thank you, God, for your word that says that even the deep things that you you reveal to, to us by your Holy Spirit. So thank you that we don't live under the old where it says that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man those things which God has for them. But thank you that we live according to your word where you poured out your Holy Spirit and now the Holy Spirit searches even the deep things. Thank you for helping us to see beyond, helping us to, to know and to understand. And we pray that God this morning you'll find in us willing hearts not only to hear your word, but then to do your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't tell anybody what happened in this room is what he tells after he, he's raised up this 12-year-old daughter. And um, they were all, I literally, by the way, uh, I preached this before, so I'm not going to preach it now. What he does is he runs off all the professional mourners. They were hired to dress up in their mourning garb. How many know what mourning garb is? Black stuff. Okay, and and so they were they were told and they were actually paid to to mourn well because what the Jew, Jewish culture believed is that if you didn't do a nice funeral service for them that the person's spirit would linger and haunt you and so you better be sure to give them a good burial well that works good today wouldn't it I mean let's. Let's get the most expensive stuff. My daddy said, hey, if you didn't honor me and love me in life, don't try to make up for it in death. You know? So in this case, raises up and then says, don't tell a soul in this room. See, God knows what he's doing. And so you might be down, but you're not out. You know, you may be in a place where, you know, things seem to be going bad, but I'm telling you that it could get worse, but then it's going to get better because he's a God who doesn't leave you in the grave. He might crucify you, but he's going to pull you down off of there and he'll, he'll make you smell nice even in your, in your death. And then he'll raise you up. Isn't that the narrative of Jesus right there in, in like that? Put spices, burial spices on him. Born with those spices. You knew that, didn't you? 
Yeah, that's one of the gifts brought to Jesus. He was born to die. Well, let me ask you those questions then. What are things that would make you want to leave um, a church? Like, say, New Life. Let's bring it right home. Why would you leave New Life Fellowship? Whacked out pastor. Yeah, it'd actually be surprising that anybody even came to see a whacked out pastor. But, yeah, that's the only thing. When you actually, when a, when a pastor gets professional, then you've got to be careful. See what I mean? Um, at least I, I'd like to be more professional than I am. I know some feel, feel like I would do better if I would be. But the truth is, is that one thing I've found is that we've got to be real. And most people I know have some sort of thorn in their side. They've got an area where they're not necessarily all put together too well. Amen? But that's one reason. A whacked out pastor. That's not on my list. But <laughs> Yeah, so if we had a uniform. New lifers have a uniform now. Well, actually, I think that that would be good if some of the servants, some of we we do have, we have uh, people with shirts on that says kids ministry. But yeah, we're not all hooked up on everybody comes looking like robots. So yeah, if if you had to dress a certain way um, specifically. Yeah, wear, yeah, you could wear a tie with the Harley shirt. What else? Yeah. Yeah, that's dangerous. Sometimes I like when people, they'll come to me and say, I never saw that in there. Where'd you get that at? And I'll be like, no, it was in the text, wasn't it? No, it's not my interpretation of it. I, that's, a good, that's a good one. Uh, I've got down false teaching or departure from biblical doctrine. No, I hate the word doctrine, but it's in there, okay? What else? Another. People are clicky. So what are clicky people? Is that like TMJ? Clicky. That means it tend to migrate and you can't break into their circle. Now, here's, here's the difference. I want to kind of, by way of just careful prodding here, that is, is that there are cliques that exist in the church and they're absolutely necessary. Because clicking means that you're actually hitting on the right cylinders. See, that means we have some commonality. What I've always asked is, you know, we've got a pocket over here. You've got a lunch bunch who goes out. That's a click. And that's a good click. Because that means is that we, we go together. You know, we're like peas and carrots, as Goober says, or whatever his name was. Or Forrest Gump, yeah. Um, we need clicks, because that means we get together and we're like firing on all cylinders. See what I mean? We have this common, we call it a kindred spirit in the church. And so we need clicks. But what it is, is that we, we need to have an open group, not a closed group. We need to have open arms, not, not have us four and no more. See what I mean? So, so clicks are, in one way, it's good, but it can be bad. And yet, don't you know that about your strengths and gifts and talents? Is that the way the devil wants to do is he wants to take something that is inherently good and he wants to pervert it and make it bad? He wants to take this community and fellowship and communion that we have and he wants to pervert it and make it something that's closed off and disgusting. So what I ask of everybody is you have your clicks but have open arms. That means you let somebody else who might have a kindred spirit into your little group. Amen? So that's good, Terry. Thank you. What else? God says. So does God tell you to leave and go from one church to another church? Sometimes. And if he doesn't, you know, it's a good question for the preacher to say is, did God say? We sound like Satan when we say that, don't we? That's what Satan said. Has God said? 
Well, you need to be able to answer that question because sometimes folks have left here and we've launched them. We try to launch them. I mean, in a nice way. Meaning we bless them. We want them released. But sometimes people who leave, you know what? They don't have anywhere they're going. It's like, wait a minute. You're, you're, we want to send you. We, want, we agree with that. If God's saying that to you, then, hey, we want to bless you as you go. But sometimes we don't get that opportunity and they're not actually going anywhere. They're just wenting somewhere. You know, there's a difference between being sent and went. See what I mean? Went is you just wandered off somehow. You just, where'd you go? See, so for us, yes. Uh, sometimes God will say, because here's what I believe. I tell, there's new people here this morning. We welcome you, bless you. If God told you to leave that other place, maybe he's telling you to come to be with us. Amen. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll find some reasons why that might be this morning, maybe. But here's one thing we, we would definitely say is that if you'll be like the tree that is planted by the water, that your roots will go deep, your trunk will grow strong and firm, your branches will stretch out, and you'll bear much abundant lasting fruit for his glory. That's what we believe happens for people who are in the place where they're supposed to be, that you will reap bountifully. You'll reap according to what God wants to do in your life. And so he might take you from a dry or waterless place and bring you to a different place, or sometimes he might bring you from that place and it might seem dry and waterless here. I've had people who said, well, it's really dry and almost dead. And I'm like, well, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm aware you and me are breathing. Guess what? There's hope. And maybe God wants us in that wilderness for a little bit. Maybe he, we're right here and we're camped out among the wells and he wants us to redig the wells. Anybody who's familiar with the Bible will understand that one. So sometimes it's not a matter of going somewhere. It's right there. We're just going to... You've been called to excavate. You've been called to dig up some. You've been called to stand the course. How about outright sin by the leader? That's my first one. If there was outright sin by the leader... Now, it says that anybody bringing an accusation against an elder or a leader should do so by two or three witnesses. We don't take that lightly that somebody says, yeah, we saw a pastor and he was drunk and stripping. Well... There better be two or three or have it on film and be willing to say, here it is. See what I'm saying? You bring that accusation, you bring some evidence. You don't just bring a wagging tongue. See what I mean? So that would be a serious issue. Because there's a difference in sin by a leader that is confessed and sin that is unconfessed. Do you agree? Because what do we do with confessed sin? We try to reconcile. We try to, we try to work with that. Um, well, there's grace there for that. Oh, there'll be discipline. Yeah, there's consequences. But the truth is, a pastor shouldn't stand here thinking that if he's real and, and transparent, he'll be cast out and gone forever because he, he actually confesses. He should know that the grace is there, that he can confess, and that he's got people in the church who are willing to walk with him along that journey. That sounds like the David of the, yeah, the David of stories, the story of David. Yes, sir. Matter of fact, that's the reason a lot of people don't even go to church. They won't even step in a church. How many of you have been felt that way before, condemned or judged and didn't feel like you belonged because you weren't good enough? Anybody being really honest? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you for your honesty. False teaching, obviously. That's a lot of what Paul's writings actually deals with. That's what we're talking about with 1 Timothy, so I'm going to get moving here. Outright sin by the leader, These are. this is my list. False teaching, departure from biblical doctrine. 
That's what I had. Lack of prayer. See, what will happen is every church, every pastor has some sense of what God is leading them to, what they're called to do, what they're supposed to be about. Prayer should be one of those things that's a part of every, not just a church, it's every believer. You know, what, what, literally, if a church is not a praying church, that means the people are not a praying people. It might not be a reflection of the pastor. That might be more of a condition of the people. So sometimes what happens is the people should look like the pastor and the pastor should look like Christ, and we should all be aiming toward that. You understand that? Don't look like me. Look like me or imitate me as I imitate him. And if you're not like that, you'll be a person of prayer. So what happens is that's actually part of the big solution today. Ooh, giving you the end before the beginning. So we, we've talked quite a bit about why, why are you here? Why would you go to church? You know, what is church about or, or for? Do you know? Seeking God. Worship. Learn about him. What else? Fellowship. Learning how the right way to live. Because I had to. Kids, sometimes that's what they would say. Because mom, mom dragged me here. So here's what he writes. I'm going to start with, uh, I might shift it up on you. First Timothy 3. I'm going to start with that. I said 4, but I'm going to start with 3. Because this preps us for it. And let me encourage you this. You really need to be able to read all of 1 Timothy starting at chapter 1 and going all the way through to get the whole context of this. So I'm telling you that up front. Okay? The message here is rule or be ruled. Rule or be ruled. Have you ever seen that in your life when you... The word is acquiesce. When you acquiesce means is that I kind of defer. I, I give up from making a decision or a choice and I just go with the flow. And sometimes going with the flow is a good thing, and sometimes it's not, because going with the flow might actually be leading you on the wide path, which leads straight to hell. So you might have to determine that acquiesce means that you knew better, and you knew you might have the the right decision or choice, and that's what you ought to be. You ought to be taking a step of leadership instead of acquiesce, which means to take a back seat to somebody else. See? So you have an authority, and you have a position where you should operate within that, and you might even have that you're the person, man or woman, at that moment, and that's your time. To acquiesce just means that you'll recognize someone else, well, I'm not as loud as they are. I'm not as forceful as they are. I'm rather shy. And a shy person definitely could sense to be like, oh, I'm not fighting for anything. But if God says fight for it, do this or do that, guess what? You better do it, right? So here it is. I hope to visit you soon. This is uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 14 of 1 Timothy. We're just reading through 16. It says, I hope to visit you soon, Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. But just in case I'm delayed, I'm writing this letter so you'll know how things ought to go in God's household. Did you hear why he's writing the letter? He's writing the letter, 1 Timothy, so that people would know how things ought to go in God's household. This God-alive church, bastion of truth. This Christian life is a great mystery, far exceeding our understanding. But some things are clear enough. He appeared in a human body, Jesus, was proved right by the invisible spirit, the Holy Spirit, was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among all kinds of peoples, believed in all over the world, taken up into heavenly glory. That's really this mystery that isn't a mystery. He says this is a 
great mystery, but we do know these things. See there? So when people are like, I don't understand it, you can just go back to these couple of verses right here in 1 Timothy. And then if you'll read beyond, you'll actually see that these are the things. Well, most of you might know that in the first couple of chapters of Timothy, he actually talks about um, the, the reason that, that the church is, is here for. See? So, matter of fact, let me get to it. He says, Paul, this is the first, this is chapter 1, verse 1. I, Paul, am an apostle on special assignment for Christ, our living hope. Under God, our Savior's command, I am writing this to you. Timothy, my son in the faith, all the best from our God and Christ be yours. On my way to the province of Macedonia, I advised you to stay in Ephesus. Well, I haven't changed my mind. Stay right there on top of things so that the teaching stays on track. Apparently, some people have been introducing fantasy stories and fanciful family trees that digress into silliness instead of pulling the people back into the center, deepening faith and obedience. Sometimes I think that's what church has become, a bunch of fantasy. We all want to tell our stories. We all want to stand around. But sometimes it's like the prophet uh, Hananiah that he says that Jeremiah is telling them the truth and the way it really is. Hananiah is coming along and tickling their ears and telling them what they want to hear. Guess what a church wants to hear? You want to hear about miracle signs and wonders, don't you? So if somebody lies and says that something happened that didn't happen, you're likely to be saying, praise God. Why? Because you don't have any way of verifying what they're saying. And yet, that's what goes on. And sometimes we're drawn to the, we're drawn to that. He says an evil and adulterous generation craves after the sign. There's something Jesus is telling about the modern church that you got to be careful about. We ought to be able to verify and we ought to be able to, we know this person. When Jesus healed the blind man, they said, who, who is it? What happened here? This guy was blind. First off, it says, well, who sinned? Him or his parents? That's its own paradigm. Jesus says, neither one, but that the glory of God might be manifest now. Don't think every every sickness is of the devil. You have to realize that sometimes God does something, he allows it so that he'll be glorified. So he says, who sinned? Nobody. I want the glory of God to be manifest. So, boom, he heals the guy. And then people around saying, isn't this the blind guy? What happened to him? He says, don't tell anybody, by the way. Another story, he says, don't tell anybody. He says, Jesus, he healed me. Serious? Isn't this just the carpenter's son? Yeah, but he did this. See, so what happens is, is that there are all kinds of people saying, yeah, well, we've known him. We've known his parents. We go way back. And you know what? He's been blind from birth. That's a verify. We verify that thing. How many of you take a narrative you heard somewhere else and you forward it and you send it out there and it's somebody else's potentially lie? Do you know that we live in an age where lies abound? Outside of our government? Outside of the news reports? Let me tell you, you have to be steadfast, and to be steadfast means you ought to be locked into a church. You hear what Paul said, Timothy, about leaving? He said, you stay right where you are, buddy. Huh? He says, well, I haven't changed my mind. Maybe we ought to say, God, did you change your mind? I had somebody years ago when I first came here. You know what they were saying? They were praying for God to release them from New Life Fellowship. And they shared that prayer with me. (laughs) I was like, okay, so what do you think he's going to do? I don't see how you win in that situation. 
Because if he doesn't release you, you're miserable because you're stuck here. And if you happen to hear the wrong voice, you're out the door because you got one foot out the door. How about the idea that I don't pray to leave, I pray to stay. I want to be led of the Lord. I don't want to go because there might be something in me that's just me that is causing me to want to leave. Did I just get louder or is that a fresh anointing that's fallen upon me? And so I'm not loud enough. So here it is. He says, fantasy stories, family trees that digress into, hey, did you hear about this? Where'd you hear about it? Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. I just heard about it. And I said, praise God, because that's what we've been waiting for is miracles, signs, and wonders. And the master's over here. But those tricksters, they're over here. The whole point of what we're urging is simply love. Verse 5, love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Those who fail to keep to this point soon wander off into cul-de-sacs of gossip. You ever think of yourself as being in a cul-de-sac of gossip? And we're talking about what kind of gossip here. We're not talking about did you hear who they were with last night and what they did and they were, they were arrested. We're not talking about that kind of gossip. We're actually talking about gossip, which is the silliness of fantasy stories and fanciful family trees. It's sometimes what Christians get into, talking about wonderful stories about apparently God works somewhere else. What about your own life? Maybe it's a sign of how asleep we are or near dead that we don't have a testimony of something amazing that God has spared us of. Or maybe God's just asleep himself and he's not doing anything. Ah, that would be blasphemy. God's not asleep and he is doing something. Instead of looking for somebody else's story and sharing what's going on in their life, how about pressing in ourselves and seeing that happen and be a reality here where somebody else will say, do you know Pastor Joel was diabetic for 14 years and you know what? God healed him. Well, that doesn't happen in medicine. Once you got it, you're it. Then it's just, you know, waiting for you to die waiting for you to get blind, your kidneys to fail, all these other things. And then you just die full of holes from shots and tests on your fingers. And that's just what happens. <laughs> Not me. I believe that with God, all things are possible. So I take my meds and then I'm, I pray before I take my meds every morning. This could be the last time I take this because of you, Jesus. Last time I take this because of you, Jesus. But you know what? Everybody will know around me when God heals me of diabetes, everybody in the room will know it. See what I mean? I'll be able to give you a file folder that's about that thick now on my medical history for the last 15 years. Most of you, if you know me at all, I'm a real healthy person. I'm, 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 I'm buff. I am. I, don't, I just don't get sick. I mean, I'm, I'm a healthy person outside of the diabetic thing. I, I'm a specimen. Come on. I agree with that. I do. I don't have, I don't fight, I don't take a bunch of other medicines. I don't have headaches. I don't have chronic anything. I just have stuff that makes me want to whine every now and then. Does anybody else have that kind of stuff going on? Yeah. But here's the deal. When, when that happens, you will know it and you'll be saying, this is the first time I've ever heard of somebody not managing their diabetes, just being delivered from it. Folks, the day I don't believe for that possibility, I'll just quit preaching. See what I mean? And I would have to say I'd quit church too, by the way. Because if I didn't have that belief in me, what good would it do? 
See, if there is no resurrection, we're the, we're the most despised of all. We're the most ridiculous of all. But there is a resurrection. See, we'll be raised up. So, hey, if he doesn't do it in this life, I know when I go to heaven, there ain't no diabetes in heaven. Amen. And there's no bad livers and kidneys and no bad anythings there. See what I mean? That's why you want to go there. All right, that's a different sermon. Love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith, a life open to God. Avoid those cul-de-sacs of gossip. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues. Do you know one of the most amazing worst-case scenarios of religious issues in the body today? Oh, I hear you slamming the church again just because he doesn't believe. No, I believe. Guess what it is that that is a major issue in the church nowadays, a focal point for the church. Guess what it is? What is it? They're experts on religious issues. It doesn't take you much to tune in to hear something about prophecy, about end times, about what else? We're, we're all into the end times right now, aren't we? Isn't that what happened where a guy spent how many million dollars, Harold Campen, to tell everybody the end was going to be at a certain day in May? And then later on in October, because he missed it. Well, hello, he missed it twice. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the world, we're all sitting there thinking, is this the time? And do you know that that's biblical? Because that's what the, in the, in the first, uh, first chapter of Acts when they saw Jesus go, remember what the, the, one of the last questions to Jesus was? Is it in this time that you're going to rebuild the kingdom? Is this, when you're, is this about it now? And he says, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not building to stay here. I'm leaving. I'm on my way out. He said, what is it to you to know the time and the epochs, the ages? Don't you worry. See? And then he gave them a different mission, to wait until they're endued with power from on high. See? Folks, that's what I'm telling you. Yes, prophecy, yes, be aware of the times and that we're living in. But he doesn't want us to, to go sit on some holy hill and wait for him to show up or wait. Let's get our listening devices that we might hear the trumpet blast. Let's get our oil for our lamps. He wants the church to be about the, the work of the church. Do you know what that is? It's to be praying. It's to be reading so that we'll have our story together, that we understand the word of God and his ways. And then he wants us to be blabbermouths. See, he wants us telling people about it. Not because the end is near, the end is inevitable. That's what it is. It means that it's going to happen someday. And this guy writing right now, he believed it was going to happen in his day. He believed it was going to happen because Jesus says, I'm telling you, some here... This, the end won't come. This, you'll see it. And so they thought that meant this generation won't pass away without seeing it. No, he's talking to a generation who yet to be birthed, yet to come in the fullness of his time because he labors and he, he waits simply because he desires none to perish. You see, that's the reason that, that he's delayed in it because he wants people saved. That's what the church has to be doing. Giving your testimony about your life, not somebody else, something that you heard in the cul-de-sac. He wants you telling about what Jesus has done to you. And they'll see it and they'll know that change it has come about. Oh, there's a pastor that uh, I got to be careful here. Now this, because this was it real in the valley here. 
And that's somebody who had this kind of belonging. Everybody knew his wild side and saw him grow up and he becomes a pastor. And that's wonderful. But the pastor ended up getting full of himself. And do you know what happens when we get full of ourselves? Be careful lest when you stand, think you stand, you fall. So guess what? He fell. You know why he fell? Because he, he got arrogant. Because he got full of pride. Instead of being able to stand on that testimony that God has transformed this life, we got people out there saying, I'm just waiting for him to mess up. I'm just waiting for him to fail. I know what he's like. I know. I still see that little lust in the eye. I'm just waiting for him to mess up. And guess what? There but by the grace of God, go I. Go you. You have the potential for sin just like you did before you ever accepted Jesus. All of us do. Here's why we don't. It's because it's a testimony to God. So he says here, it's true that moral guidance and counsel need to... to um, wait a minute. Let me go back. They wander off into cul-de-sacs of gossip, verse 7. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues, but having the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. Do you know where you see most of that eloquence nowadays? It won't be in small churches like this. You'll see it on the air. You'll see it in TV land because it's a production. And that doesn't mean they're false. It just means you've got to be guarding yourself. You know why? Because Paul says, I didn't come preaching fancy persuasive words with great eloquence. Moses wasn't sent with great, great eloquence. So sometimes when you hear eloquent speakers and this great anointing on somebody, you know, you ought to be a little careful with it. You don't just take everything. You might want to test that spirit, which is totally biblical. You want to find out, do you know enough about them who you're watching to be able to decide if, if they're the real deal or not? Because not everything that's on TV is a real deal. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you there's some ungodly stuff going on on godly TV. Because you know what? When you're watching that stuff, you're not actually submitted to it. You're just, you're just soaking, basking in the glory. Do you know why? Because there's no accountability. You sit there and you get to watch it and you get to say, feel good about it. And then you get to wander off. And you get to say, wow, that was a wonderful preaching and I feel really good. <laughs> That's wonderful. Is that really what God wanted you to do? I don't think Jesus, if you read the same Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't think he was really into tweaking people's ears and making them feel good. But yet that's what we demand of modern-day preaching. We want somebody to make me feel good. We want three, three steps, not 12. We want three. Three points, something that's going to... I want more answers. Well, how about going there yourself? How about getting on your knees? Should come, you know, what are you talking about? At some point, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to feed you 5,000 plus, but then I'm expecting you, you go feed somebody. See? That's what the Bible says. Instead of asking for somebody to tweak your ears and make you feel good because you're way up here spiritually, you ought to be teaching somebody else now. Where's that going on in the body? So, Here's some things that Paul offers, the Bible offers, and gives us this, this direction in verse 8. It's true that moral guidance and counsel need to be given, but the way you say it and to whom you say it are as important as what you say. Doesn't the preacher know that? Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you some kind of harsh words and make it sound like you should want to do that. I should, 
I should make you want to challenge some of the, the Bible studies that you're going to and the things that you're listening to and the channels that you watch and the men that you... Yay, well spoken. What an anointing. It's obvious, isn't it, that the law code isn't primarily for people who live responsibly, but for the irresponsible, who defy all authority, riding roughshod over God, life, sex, truth, whatever. They are contemptuous of this great message I've been put in charge of by this great God. I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, in trusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were invective and witch hunts and arrogance. That's what marked Paul's life before. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who, who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me, and all because of Jesus. See, some of us were dead formerly in our sins, in our ignorance. We have an excuse. What we don't have any longer is we have no excuse. We did a study Wednesday nights way back, a couple years back, and I've come up with, we came up with what's called the eight-ball church. And the eight-ball church says because of the seven letters to the other churches, we have no excuse. We're behind the eight-ball. Know what that means? It's an impossible difficulty. It means we have no excuse in light of the warning to everybody else. Folks, that's why we're without excuse. We don't have an excuse to be ignorant anymore of God's ways. We don't have any, any excuse that, that we can claim some sort of, you know, gosh, I didn't know. All because of Jesus. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. Public sinner number one of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. Isn't that who you were? There's no way you would have made it without him. And now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Deep honor and bright glory to the king of all time. One God, immortal, invisible, ever and always. Oh, yes, I'm passing this work on to you, my son, Timothy. The prophetic word that was directed to you prepared for us this. All those prayers are coming together now, so you will do well, fearless in your struggle. Wow. So here's the thing. Paul is trying to get them to understand this way about what is, what's this book for? Why am I writing this to you? Why am I preaching this to you? And then it goes right into this, and I'm going to have to do this faster than I wanted to, but I'll do it. Ready? I like what it said in one version here, 1 Timothy 4, first 16 verses. Ready? Just move on from there. The Spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. If you've been lied to, do most of the time you know it? How many of you have known when you were lied to? Yeah, come on, you're smart like that. You know that. You can see there's something about them, quiver of their lip. Or... What about how many of you didn't know when you were lied to? How many of you? Yeah, you didn't know that you were lied to. See, that's kind of, they're professional liars. This young lady yesterday showing us these things in this pillow that I wanted to buy for $130. It was a glorious pillow. I thought it would surely solve all my neck and back problems. 
And there was another couple young ladies over looking. They were looking. Her mom looked. Their mom looking. And they they asked, "Well, you know what? I wash my hair at night." She says. And so, how will this do with water on it? How is how good will this do for water? And the lady, without skipping a beat, says, "You know, well, um, real good." And I thought, what's the basis for real good? Let me show you a brochure that tells you about water retention or resistance. Or let me give you some facts. Let me tell you something other than, oh, yeah, that's no problem. Will this make a midnight snack for me? Oh, yeah, it does that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You got to kind of think about uh, somebody just told you what you wanted to hear and they didn't even question it. And then they had two, one under this arm and one under this arm. And I thought... Hello? Hello? Oh, I sleep on it with wet, and so it's no problem. And maybe that's the truth, but you know what? We should just test that spirit. These liars have lied so well and for so long that they've lost their capacity for truth. Folks, you have to question. I have known people like this. I've I've been there. Now, I can tell you I've been there before I ever got accepted Jesus Christ. Now, after accepting Christ, when I lie... And I can lie convincingly. Remember a couple weeks ago, I told you I had lied. I lied, except the Holy Spirit is more convincing than me. So he come and told me right then he had an issue. There are no white lies. There's no, there are no, no okay lies. I told you last week so that you know I'm a man and I need your prayers. And I don't mind standing here and saying, hey, I sin by lying because I want you to pray for me. And I want you to say, are you lying? And then I have to lie if I lied. See what I'm saying? Something in me compels me not to ever want to do that again. Now, for you, you should be able to trust me. But even if you... Are you lying? And if I'm lying, I'll probably have to tell you right then. I'll say, yeah, you're right. Colleen, a few weeks ago, she said, I'm not giving you no, no lies, no excuses. I said, wow. She just refused to talk anymore beyond that. Because anything she said couldn't explain it, and it would have been just wrong. And she's choosing not to lie. She was just being real. And I said, bless your heart. You don't have to tell me nothing else. I release you from that. Amen? So here it is. These liars have lived, lied so well so long, they've lost their capacity for truth. They will tell you not to get married. They'll tell you not to eat this or that food. Perfectly good food. God created to be eaten heartily and with thanksgiving. Boy, I'm treading on thin ice here. And with thanksgiving by believers who know better, everything God created is good and to be received with thanks. Nothing is to be sneered at and thrown out. It is only God's word. God's word and our prayers make every item in creation holy. They're sanctified by the word and by prayer. That includes Diet Coke that's left in the heat in trailers sitting overseas. You'd have to have got that post before. Pastor, you should never drink Diet Coke again because it's got this in it. It's formaldehyde and it actually gets heated. And then (laughs) do you believe the word of God or don't you believe it? I'm not drinking poison, intentionally drinking poison, testing like that. But hello, do you actually live by faith? Do you pray a blessing over your food? Be smart. Use some wisdom. But let's not be ridiculous. You've been raised on the message of the faith and have followed sound teaching. Now, pass on this counsel to the followers of Jesus there, and you'll be a good servant of Jesus. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. 
No spiritual flabbiness. That's why I said I'm buff. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. I'm wrapping up here. This is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. Get the word out. Teach all these things. And don't let anyone put you down because you're young, teenagers. Don't let anybody put you down because you're young, Hannah. Don't let anybody put you down because you're young, Derek. Don't let anybody put you down because you're young. Ted, don't let anybody put you down because you're young. There'll be a day where somebody who's older than you will try to lord it over you because they're the spiritual muscle and you're not. You're just puny little average Joe on the beach guy getting sand kicked at you. And no, you're supposed to say, I've got the living word and the living God. He's on my side. It's not about how loud you are or how big you are. See, it's according to him. Amen. So he says, teach these things. Don't let them put you down. Teach believers with your life, by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching. And that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. Cultivate these things. Immerse yourself in them. This is not to just Timothy, folks. This is to you and me today. Immerse yourselves in them. The people will see all you see. The people will all see you mature right before their eyes. Keep a firm grasp on both your character and your teaching. Don't be diverted. Just keep at it. Both you and those who hear you will experience salvation. You know what desertion is? This chapter literally starts out, chapter 3 talking about, I'm sorry, chapter 4, talking about those who will fall away from the faith. It's called the great apostasy, the falling away of the faith. The, the, The word for fall away there, the apostasy, literally means to, let me get it down here because I have it written down, to desertion or total abandonment. In the military, they call it AWOL, being AWOL. You know what being AWOL was? What does AWOL stand for, by the way? Yeah, absent without leave. Official leave. Yeah, without, yeah, having some, somebody stamp something. You know what sometimes we do? We leave churches and we're absent without official leave. Because we do and do it in the right way. See, if you're leaving, that's fine. But make it stated because somebody comes to me and tells me, one, God said, well, if I argue, then I'm arguing with God, right? Don't say God said if God didn't say. If you just don't like the guy and you don't like the way it's working, just admit that and then say, you know what? We just don't have a hookup anymore. Then that's okay. Be honest, though. So that desertion is actually part of the word. Desertion. Total abandonment. To fail someone in time of need. Do you know that happens in the body of Christ? Because we have need of you. We have need of your pinky. We have need of your hand. We have need of your your elbow. We have need of your knee, of your foot. See what I mean? We have need of your wisdom. We have need of your gift. No, we don't have money. We don't have need for money. God's the one who supplies that. Now, he might supply it through you, 
This isn't a money thing. This is a people thing. This is a gift thing. This is a talent thing. This isn't an ability thing. This is what you were born for. See? And if you fall away, then you, you take that time and you'll fail the body. And the body will fail because we're missing somebody. The scary part of grace or free will is that we have the option. Or so it appears. And that option is to do what we want to do. When we want, how we want. See, with who we want. Sometimes, folks, you ought to be alarmed by the freedom that you have in Jesus. It ought to be that there's a good godly fear that grips you about the potential you have to make choices and let him come alongside in that permissive will stuff. See? The idea that people stay home. There was a post on, post on Facebook recently, and, and somebody in the room is going to know who it was. I don't, I don't do Facebook, but about once a week, and then I try to catch up, I guess. You know what the Facebook post said? It showed somebody else sleeping in bed. It was 9, 10 in the morning on Sunday. And that person I know would normally be in church, or at least on their way to church. And now they're sleeping. And this passage came to me. And I said, wow. Now, I was already doing this message before that. So I'm in that passage about the sleeping thing. And I thought, isn't that true? And these are people that are, I know they know Jesus. How many people do you know who don't go to church on Sunday mornings? And they profess to be Christians. And what are they doing? There were four men sitting over in McDonald's this morning. I walked in. Normally I'd drive through because I didn't want to know that a pastor eats. So I, I went in, and the guys are, oh, <clears throat> hi, Reverend. I said, hi, sinners. No, I didn't say that. But you know what I wanted to do is I wanted to engage them, and I wanted to say, do you guys go to church? Because I, I, in this group, I honestly, I can tell you this sounds like I'm judging, but I'm just making an observation. That observation is, is that church isn't for them. Church is for their wives. Church is for other people. But they're not a churchy person. You know why? Because you've got to be tough to go to church. <sighs> I'm telling you, to put up with people? Come on, be honest. People aren't all that easy. That's why God's into it. He says, I want you, when you look at somebody, you'll know when your heart is being tweaked by me. When I've got a full grasp on your heart, because when you see people, you'll see them with my eyes, not with those natural eyes. You'll see their potential. You'll see my glory upon them. You won't see the way the average person sees. Joel, would you come up and grab a hold of these for me and maybe bring uh, somebody with you like Derek? Or no, Brian, you're a good guy. Come on up, Brian. Maybe you'll help. That Brian. Yeah, either Brian. I don't care. We can use both Brians. Yeah, hook those together for me. This was a picture, word picture I got this week of the body. And sometimes some of you may be here in the room that this is, this is actually what it's about. Because there's a tug of war. To, to rule or be ruled is really about a tug of war. And that tug of war is kind of what a matter of life that hangs in the balance. 
See, the truth is, is people are being pulled uh, two different directions. By the way, um, usually when you do tug of war, go ahead and make it taut. Go ahead and wrap that around yourself. You You can hook yourself so you're locked in. You can't get away. So usually what happens is in a tug of war, by the way, I've got a massive glove from when I weighed about 320 pounds. And that glove is because I was on the winning team of uh, tug of war in Las Vegas. Hello. I've been in the den of iniquity. So here this is. So this, go ahead and stretch it a little bit. You guys, uh, now, Brian, you, I don't know, are you, what do you weigh? You want to tell us? This is why I didn't get women up here. 220. Joel, you weigh about 198. <laughs> 199. Okay, you got to pull it a little tighter than that. You're you're slack, and there you go. Okay, so now don't 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 because we know you got the weight advantage. So here's the thing: this is tied over, and there's this this pool, and usually it's mud or jelly or something that's really kind of wicked bad motor oil. Um, and so then the idea is is that we're going to have a point over here and a point over here, and whoever draws that flag one way or the other, that's who wins the tug of war, right? but it's usually done over a pit. So the losers, guess what they go? In the pit. Do you know how biblical that is? The losers go into the pit. Do you understand? There's, there's a tug of war, and I'm not going to assign either one of you to be Satan. I'm just going to say one of you is evil and one of you is good, okay? Either way, interchangeable. Here's the idea. Is it's, there's, a, there's a pull, there's a tug for your soul, for your life. And the issue is you get to choose which side of this rope you're going to be on. And you have to determine because one side is holy and one side is unrighteous and evil and wicked. And you're going to be drawn according to that. And you're going to be asked to join on that team and pull in their direction. And one's going the way of the world. And one's going toward the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You'll be in pursuit one way or another. Here's what happens is it seems to be an equal force nowadays we see that evil sometimes seems like evil is stronger. And then there's this place where we'll, we will have genuine God moments in our lives, and it seems like God is gaining. See what I mean? And then all of a sudden, there's this back and forth. And in our culture, we talked about it by the election cycle, how 50-50 our, our nation is, from issues on homosexuality and same-sex marriage to abortion. We've got a nation that is torn, and right now it's, it's this massive pull. See what I mean? And it's about there's a, there's a time where it's going to collapse. And the problem is right now, if not enough people will line up on the side of righteousness, guess what happens? Evil begins to dominate. Folks, you're very necessary and you're important in the kingdom of God. You're important today. Your life matters today. You have a choice to make. I'm glad you're here this morning because if you're here visiting from another church and, and you, you're not sure that, you know, maybe you feel called to leave that church. Maybe you're looking because you've been in a dry and waterless place. And now today, as a result of the preaching, you're going to say, was I supposed to stay there? Did I leave well? And if I didn't leave well, was I still supposed to leave? I can still leave well. And then you can become part of this church. We'd love to have you here. Maybe you're part of what we've been praying for. But here's the deal. You have to choose. You have to do it in a God-honoring way. You have to say that I'm going to embrace the word of God and his truth and what he has for my life, and I'm not going to slack because if I give any slack, do you know what happens when you give slack in tug-of-war? We're both slacking. What's the deal with my two polars here? 
if, if you, you know, we had one person on our team, right, in the semifinals. Usually we do this, right? And they're grabbing a hold. Well, they decided their hands were slippery and they had to lick one hand. So guess what? We got one person who's going with one hand. And, and you know what happened? We began to, yeah, to pull. Now that's where we really kind of, I don't know, I was the anchor guy, by the way. I was the one because I was the heaviest dude. I was on the end with a rope wrapped around me. And I was just like, I'm real competitive and I wasn't going to lose. But when that guy did, what happened? We literally had a couple steps. We stumbled for just a minute. And then the guy realized, he grabs, he gets a hold of the line. Now we're matched. But what they did for us is they matched us. I don't know, 1,000 pounds on this side and 1,000 pounds on that side. That's what we did. Folks, today, it's not even really a tug of war at all. It's a tug of war for us that we're flesh. The truth is, God is so overwhelmingly for us. There comes a day where he takes like this, remember the pit? And he just, and and this guy, he forever, that's where he's going. End of the tug of war. But until then, guess what we have to do? We have to line up. We have to choose. I pray that the conclusion of this this morning is that you're signed up, that you're committed, that you realize that you've been, you've been walking at the precipice of faith. You've been walking over here on this fine line. You're not really fully in, and you might have even been, been falling asleep. And if you're looking for somebody to tickle your ears, I'm just not going to do that. I won't sit here and lash out at you and be mean to you, but I want to help you to make a decision to follow Jesus and make him Lord of all. Lord means boss. So you can be physically buff. What God's calling you to be is to be spiritually in shape. Amen. Let's let's stand. Worship team, come on up. We're going to do this later on to decide who gets to ride and who has to run behind the car as we go to camp. Whatever song's on there, yes. Okay. Yeah. Campers, come on up if you would. By the way, we got this sign. We found this. This was up in, uh, I was going to give it to Matt, but you can give it to him. It says, nothing like the smell of oil in the morning. We just, I thought that was kind of cool for Matt. Yeah, that's good. You are my strength. Wow, you're a camper? Look at him. Look at him. This is Noah. Do you guys know Noah? And, and Brittany. Now, here's what's going to happen. Treasurer, who's the treasurer? Where's where is she at? Becky, you in here? Yeah, she's at the back. Uh, I'm going to do this. Uh, I told Brittany that she would. She she left a job. Um, she's going to camp for two weeks. Is that right, man? She just. When did you get saved? March. She's a baby in the faith, and um, I just I just have uh, really got a love. Is that your mama over here? By the way, hi, mama. I just want to tell you, you did a good job. You know that. So here's the thing. Um, I'm signing up. I would like your help because I'm going to pay because she would, she would be giving up uh, pay for doing this. And um, I told her that I'm going to help her. So I'm going to pay. Uh, uh, I think it was, I figured that it's going to cost, I, did I, I told you $200, didn't I? Do you remember that? Yeah, I think that's what I did. That's only probably one week. But that's, 
that's what I'm doing is I'm going to pay that out of my personal money, which means Arlene might, she, she loves Brittany, so she'll be okay with that. I'm just telling you this for this reason. If you want to help to pay the other 200, then you can do that. But uh, we're paying travel expenses for the kids to get to camp. Uh, we, the, the fee we pay for camp doesn't cover travel. So um, we're, we're hauling that. But I just wanted to call you out and recognize that because you've taken a step of faith. She left what she felt like is an ungodly influence in place of work. To uh, she's, she's got a new job already, and um, we believe God's going to lead her. There, she's got greatness, greatness that comes from her DNA, mama and daddy. But she's got greatness also that that is what God wants to do on your behalf, sweetheart. And Noah, he's taking a week, and he's going, and here... Um, He's rededicated his life over the last year, and um, we're, we're just seeing all kinds of good stuff uh, out of Noah. So I wanted to lift them. They're going to be our counselors, part of our counselors. And then Delaney, you're going to go this week, and Derek, and you're going to take in this week. And then next week, they're staying as counselors for the juniors, for the little ones. And Hannah, Hannah too. Hannah Bobana. So Hannah's staying. She'll be staying as well, and she's going to be a counselor next week. Because here's what they'll do is one week they, they, they receive, the next week they're going to be given out. 